Good evening, Patriots. And it is still Tuesday, April 12th in the year 2022. Tonight we're going to dig into some good verses tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about greed and wealth, which really at the core of so much of what we're dealing with right now and the challenges that are faced is the in the me culture is a greed element. People wanting so much for themselves and forgetting the importance of the giving and the gifting that God puts on our heart. And that's a real challenge we face when we're dealing with people that are not walking with Christ. And I would say that in a true relationship of really understanding the place. And it, there's so many, there's obviously the great parables of the the young rich man who was obviously challenged by Jesus to, to sell everything and to give it all away and then to join him. And he couldn't because of his attachment to things. And that centers on a principal issue of trust with God. And we're going to get on into all that in just a second. Make sure that you keep your immune system strong in this time. There's a lot going on right now and we need to boost everything we can. And part of that is boosting up your immune system. And that's critical, and we've got to make sure and do that, and that's part of the reason we have Expedition Coffee. We are surrounded by the stresses and the environmental issues that are challenging our immune systems. And keeping our immune systems strong is essential to maintaining a strong position in this fight. Expedition Coffee was designed specifically to not only give you that energy boost you need that will sustain you across the entire day, while boosting your immune system and help maintain a mental focus throughout the day. You can find Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, Expedition Coffee at ExpeditionCoffee.com. And there you'll also find a full range of products that are designed to work as a full health ecosystem, all designed to reclaim your personal health sovereignty. Those products include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut. Leaky gut is one of the critical causes of sickness in our nation. You also have Immune XP, which is an immune booster based on pine cone extract with high levels of vitamin C. Earth, which is a nutrient powder, giving your body a full complement of nutrients you need. Just mix it with water, drink it like a shake. Do that once a day. And Pure 47, one of the most refined silver extracts on the market that can isolate most of the pathogens that you'll encounter. The products on ExpeditionCoffee.com are all designed to give you back the strength in your immune system to not only endure the challenges to the immune system, but to dominate and to rise above to reclaim your true health sovereignty. So check out Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. I think one of the things that gets confused in this day is the concept of wealth and greed. And it's I don't, I've said this, and I truly believe this. I mean, I, I think that God doesn't want any of us to be without. And God gives wealth to many. And I, and I would say that different levels of wealth. And I say this because the number one thing that's going on right now, which sounds very popular to do, is to attack those with enormous resources. And I don't think that's at the core of the attack. And I've, been, I've even shaped some of the arguments here unintentionally that have kind of sounded that way. But that's not really the core of the issue. The core, is, the core of the issue is greed. And, and it's the unrelenting desire to accumulate when in fact we're not, that's not our role, at least scripturally. And I believe that as well. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 16. And this is literally titled The Folly of Riches. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage of their owners except to look on? The, the sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. That is a powerful statement right there. There is a... It's like talking to somebody, for example, that has a large business and the worries that they go to bed with of all of the responsibilities and the concerns of growth and the concerns of getting bigger and the concerns of keeping cash flow in. It becomes a consuming issue. And in the end of the day, no matter how much is made, there's always a need to make more. 
And an extension, it, it, essentially, it's, it becomes the love of money. And though they may not qualify it as that, anytime we get something where it starts to consume us like that, it's doing that critical thing of separating us from God. I'm going to continue here. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost, though, a bad investment, or he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. He had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor so that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? I like this passage. We come into this world naked, as said. We go out naked. We're not taking anything with us. And I quoted Denzel Washington last night, and I'm going to quote him again. It's a great quote. You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. We're not bringing it with us. Now, this, I think, gets into this real interesting convolution in things because all of us have things. And when we go about talking about these sorts of scriptures, I think the first question that hits most of us is, all right, how much do I have? Do I have too much? Or, you know, I'm, I'm okay with what I have. And, and there's, we get into this kind of silly circular type arguments that don't go anywhere. The principal issue here is what is our attachment to it all? God is not asking us to live in a cardboard box, or at least if he is, then we're going to, that's where he has us for a reason. But he's not asking us to do without what he's, what the relationship always is, is our relationship to him and the love of him and not the love of the things. I think that's really at the core of the parable of the young rich man. When Christ offers him the opportunity to go with him, Christ asks him to sell his things, to give the money away, and to follow him. And what the young rich man discovers is he doesn't have that ability to trust in Jesus that way. And he doesn't have the ability to trust in God that way. That everything he will be needed, he needs to be provided is there. Now, that creates this interesting sort of context in life. It's like, well, does that mean we all should be giving away everything and walking as Christ? There's probably something to that in a different order of events on earth. And some people will feel that calling. I would say that what God is providing is resources and the bigger relationship here is not whether you are going to sell everything and walk with, with do that walk as Christ did, but are you willing to? And that's a big one because that's where we go through. And I've mentioned this before. I do a process pretty regularly in my life. And I try to pay attention to when I start to get attached to things. You know I love my Jeep. I talk about it. Love is probably an overstatement, but I enjoy my Jeep. And I enjoy driving my Jeep. The question is, and I ask myself, and I challenge myself, if I had to get rid of my Jeep, could I? And the answer is absolutely yes. There's not a question. I've not been put to that place, and God hasn't put it on my heart to do that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But it is a place of testing that I go through regularly, and I think it's worthy of us all to find those things that we are very attached to. And then it's a process of kind of breaking that down to discover why. It's I don't see that as a sin, but I do see it as a way of awakening ourselves and being aware of what attaches us to things. And I think we grow from that. We work hard for things. You have a house. You don't want to see your house just taken away. You sure as heck don't want to see your house taken away by BlackRock or FEMA. And that house is our domain. That's that's where God lives in our in our home. And so that's a place that God's provided for our shelter, and we're stewarding that, and we're we're going through that process. Hopefully, you're processing it as a stewardship, because it's really God's land. It's not the government's land. So that that's an interesting place. 
But at the same time, if we were called upon and God said, I, you know, I need you, like in Noah's case, I need you to build an ark in your backyard for 30, 40 years. You can imagine that going along with your neighbors going, what are you doing? I'm just, it's the days of Noah, man. I'm just building something back here. Don't worry. Don't worry about the monkeys and the snakes and a few things I got inside. It'll all be good. But we are literally, we are literally in that, place where of stewardship and yet everything we have we should be in terms of stewardship as God gives us 1 Timothy 6 9 but those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction I played that piece the other night of a child young man a child young man that is not going to college and his thing was he wanted to get rich. This was his goal. And I understand. I'm not, I'm not knocking him for it. But as I said in the, after the end of the piece, he needs a little more Jesus. And he does. His, his rationale for not going to college was dead on. His motivation of what he wanted to do, off mark. Because it became an obsession about money. If he had said that he would want to pursue something by as what, whatever his gift and talent is that God was sending... That'd be a different pursuit. I truly believe, and I walk this in my own life, that when we, part of this whole concept of wealth, in when we get into these discussions, so much of this is around money. And that happens because in the world that we're in, everything in value is related to a dollar or a token of money, whatever that is. Maybe for you, that money's you only want to get silver or gold these days, which would be understandable since the dollar is pivoting and pivot, 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 I can't even speak, falling into a pit and cratering down there. But that is a process, nonetheless, of we are attaching a specific value to anything we do. And in this world in which we currently live, wealth is very narrowly defined. If you are going to do work for somebody, it's going to be at a fixed rate of dollars or equivalent or hourly pay or equivalent. We can You'll hear things like sweat equity, but that sweat equity will be a translation into dollars at the end of the day for equivalency. So you'll do 100 hours of work, say, in sweat equity, or you'll get an estimate on a job, say, like the remodel in a, in a house would cost $100,000, and you're going to do the equivalent of the sweat equity of the labor part of that, and say the labor part of that was $50,000. That would be your sweat equity. It's always going to be translated to a monetary value. So the question would be in a, in a situation like that is what is the value of your creative design that would go into something like that? What is the value of the perfection of your work that would go into something like that? Those types of elements of value don't exist in our culture. And that's where we get into this whole principles of gifts and talents. And why I paint this out is for gifts and talents the way I'm going to talk about it. When God gives us gifts and talents, they're a full embodiment of something that, is, that we're pursuing that deals with not just the creation of something, but God's gifts. So as we do this, there's a value that goes far beyond the monetary value. When we work in the world that way and we're pursuing God's pursuits that way, to me, that's when we gain the greatest wealth, not just in the sense of whatever we need, as I think God showers us with everything we need. But the wealth is much greater. The wealth is how we touch people and feel and reach out to people. And the problem when we get into this whole concept of wealth and value and God will provide everything and we pray is we start to walk a very, very narrow line, if we're not careful, into prosperity gospel. And prosperity gospel to me is just complete 
really jacked up when it comes to the scriptures. That's like Creflo Dollar in his prosperity gospels to get a new plane or jet because he doesn't want to fly commercial down to Africa or some nonsense like that. We have to be very careful how we value, how we place that concept of value. I think there is a great deal of discussion in scripture about money specifically and the temptations that snare the foolish because the concept of wealth and richness in money ties back to Babylon. And that's ultimately kind of a Babylonian money magic, which I've talked about before, which is this, a real critical part. And I'm not saying it's the only motivation, but a real critical part of Christ flipping tables deals with Babylonian money magic because people are bringing in a tithe and having an exchange to money there. It's being hijacked by someone, an intermediary that's hijacking the tithe converting it to a coin that the coin is then given to the temple and the temple can just use it to do whatever it's going to do, which is probably some form of debauchery anyway. But it's the intersection. It's the intersection there that takes away the whole intent of the tithe. I... I don't think that money was has ever been part of God's model. And I, that's a lot of where the Babylonian nightmare comes in. And we don't deal with equity models much and equity equivalency. So if you are growing wheat on your land, there's no way for you to take the wheat, at least not in this, not in the normal ways of things, and say that I have, say, 100 bushels of wheat and be able to put that up as equity. And when I say that, that's what I have to offer. And that provides you with some sort of form of equity to somebody else who says, well, I have the skills to make things out of, out of steel. There's no way to translate that in our day without saying, okay, in between we're going to create dollars. And so the steel guy is going to get paid. He's going to get paid a certain amount of money, like, $50 an hour, and the guy that got the wheat, we're going to determine that cost, which is how it's done currently. It's going to be determined by the market value, which is determined out of Chicago's commodity markets, and that it's completely out of touch with what his actual labor cost was. So all of these traps of money are snares that ultimately lead to a form of worship. And unfortunately, I believe that a lot of that leads us to one of the biggest traps of all, which is we're desire to want more and the compelling issue to want more and not be satisfied with what we have, which ultimately gets to greed. Luke 12, 14, 15 to 21. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against any form of greed. For not even one who has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told him in a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of me, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, and is it not toward God? This is a really poignant passage right now in particular as people are preparing and setting means aside and preparations are one of those things and I'll be honest this is something that goes this parable or framing like this parable goes through my head probably every single day the first question is when is enough enough and I think think part of that it gets into the wealth accumulation and greed we're talking about prepping stores if all we're doing is prepping for ourselves we're going to end up being in a funny place. I, I ran into a guy some years back that was proud of the fact that he had 
three to five years, depending on what it was, three to five years of stores stocked up. That creates an interesting problem. Number one, at some point, every one of that supplies has to be used because everything has a shelf life. So that means that he's buying, in theory, you would be buying today to consume in three to five years. And so you would be consuming, if you were doing it right, stuff that was near the end of its cycle. So you're always consuming old things. It's kind of a weird way of living, isn't it? So you imagine like on the shelf, everything on my shelf is three years old. So I'll buy right now, and we'll just use an example of rice. And we'll say that in this model, my rice is going to last me three years. So when I consume my rice, I'm going to consume rice that's three years old. And when I replenish it, I'm going to replenish it with rice I buy today. So it's just sitting idle for a couple of years if you're doing the proper rotation. That is also known as first in, first out. But it is a process of rotation that at the end of the day, the question is, what are we really stocking up for? I think the big lesson here that's told to us here in Luke and a reminder of us in Luke is that we are not just storing for ourselves. In this discussion here, the, the farmer doesn't, the rich man doesn't seek to have the grain for others He's just hoarding it for himself. And this is why when I talk about prepping, and I really do mean this, it isn't just for ourselves. It's always with an eye of having the stability to keep our household strong, but be able to help and share out with others. We're we're entering into a very critical time right now. It's going to be a challenging time. To what degree we will see extreme shortages or potential famine is unknown. What we will see is in some parts of the world, there will be famine. And some of that's happening right now. In China, there are people that are literally starving to death by virtue of the government. But also, as as we learn more, there's no food in many of the stores. China has a shortage of food in an unprecedented level right now. And it is considered at least a partially developed country. Africa has regions throughout that are going through extreme famine right now. Yemen is going through extreme famine right now. We have no idea what that's like as a nation. And the world is kind of looking to the other parts by virtue of the way things are structured. Notice governments never starve. You ever notice that? There's never any famine in governments, but there's always famine amongst its people. And we know why that is. Because the corruption sits at the top. And we never see that sort of suffering happening at the senior level. If it did happen at that level, then we would under, there would be an appreciation for stewardship. But there's no stewardship. This is about rape and pillage. Peru's going through crises right now. Increased in food costs, shortages of things. This is happening all over the world. And to think for a moment that it won't hit our shores is arrogance and foolishness. So it isn't about just us. I th- and I think this is the principal issue here is, If we're taking in resources to set them aside, again, it's a a process of what's our intent. If we're bringing them in to hoard for ourselves, that's now pushing into the space of greed. If we're taking them in to preserve and to have for ourselves, and part of that preservation and having for ourselves is to be able to have portions to share out to help others in need, we start to shape the appropriate framework on possession and, and, and things. If you're, if you're building up to have tools, for example, to build things, and you're building in the capacity to be able to train others and build out, I think that's a right mentality right now. And I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm giving you some of my opinion, but There is a process that we all have to have in mind, and I think it's a very slippery slope constantly of this fine line in an area of things and possessions of what is our intent. We all need to have key tools and key items in our lives to sustain the way of life that we want. But at what point, and I think that's the constant question, do we achieve excess, and when does that excess become the the need to possess and to to hoard.
Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So this is an interesting, and I think all of us go through it. Every one of us in one point or another is setting things aside. We're all trying to be ahead of this potential collapse. And we're trying to preserve wealth. We're trying to preserve food stores so that we have for ourselves and for others. But we incur a critical problem. And that problem is that as we store things, we also have to begin to consider protection of things. And the cycle now begins to be pretty vicious. The more that we have to hoard, the more that we have to worry about protection and defense of it, the more that we can let our minds float into the idea of the what ifs. What happens if thieves now break in? What am I going to do? Well, they're, and they're breaking in to steal what I have. It puts us in that place again of having to make a choice of life and death over things. What happens if I have all this food stored up and I open it up and there's moths or there's worms in it? All that storing was for nothing. It's an interesting, when you run into people that are hoarding, it's easier to see it perhaps. And it's, if you've ever come across this, and I have, where you run into people that have held things for years and they're preserving them for years for no reason other than to have them. But by the time that they get around to them, they've sat up in a storage area for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, mildew settled in, rust settled in. Everything they had, all that, that was there is not worth anything. One of the greatest examples of this is inheritance. People keeping stuff, hoarding stuff for their kids to have. And then suddenly when they die, the children go in and the first thing they do is they bring in a dumpster in the in a and someone over at a like a mission or something and say, take it all away. It is a incredible process that we get ourselves looped into. And all this time, what we're doing is moving away from the trust in God. I, just my own testimony here, because this is something that goes through my mind a great deal. And it's a question that I ask frequently, and I put it to prayer. And there's no easy answer here, okay? But I've often wondered, it's like, what if I just... All of this chaos is going on in the world right now. What if I just gave everything away and had nothing? We're not in a, in a world where, I mean, one could argue that that is the ultimate trust in God. Let me start there. And perhaps it is. Yet we're in such a chaotic world that's calling upon many of us to have to prepare to help others. My answer to this is constantly putting it to prayer. I'm very honest about this. And what I get back in my prayer and what I get back in, in my response to prayer is always what I try to abide by. Sometimes that's giving a lot away. Sometimes that's stocking up on things I'm surprised I stock up on. Sometimes, it, I, and I truly try to walk this way, but it's not an easy discernment. Ultimately, I think so much of this falls back to a place in our heart, in our relationship to the things that we have, and not so much as what we have now, but what is our attachment and possession to them, like I've already said. And when those things start to lock us down and anchor us down, we can be in quite a place, in a difficult place, of being possessed by the things and the ownership rather than being consumed with the love of God. There's no substitute, obviously, for the love of God. Unfortunately, so much of the world that we face has replaced God with the thrill of buying things, of acquiring new things, and hence that short-term passion that occurs when somebody gets something is a consumption that is constantly recycled and recycled and recycled to try to fill a deep wound within them or an emptiness within them. 
consumerism is right at the core of that. And hence the reason it's so important to separate God from us in the world, because as they separate God, there is an emptiness. We seek that worship, that love of God. Instinctively, I believe it's all there for all of us. But when God is pulled out of the equation, we instinctively want and seek to worship something. And what this, this institution does so well, this framework of governance does so well, is in between us and God, they intercede and they put something in between us. And the interesting point about this is this takes us right back to Christ and the money changers. Because what goes in between us and that relationship with God is something or someone. It's a banker. It's a promise of a new car. It's the new car. It's the purchase experience. It's the new things. It's the shiny new object, the latest iPhone. It's the latest set of, of fashion that you're buying. Whatever that is gets placed in between us and God. And that constant recycling place of wanton filling of that it comes about and to fill that void which is left with a gap between us and God. So when we go on a purposeful mission and intent with God and we're talking to God about the times that we're in right now. And this is where I think a lot of this starts to clarify because when we're out with an intent and we're turning to God and we're saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do before me? What is it? And I mentioned this once before that even in a simple act, if we get into the process of even using that process, when we go on every time we purchase something, I don't care whether it's an apple or whether it's a, a, tank of gas or whether it's a grocery shopping event, if we are constantly in that conversation with God as to where should we be, what should we be doing, I think we are forcing the relationship into a place where we are avoiding the pitfalls that greed and consumption provide. And we stay focused and directed. Proverbs 21, 26, all day long he is craving while the righteous gives and does not hold back. And there is the beautiful part of all of this is that when we're following God and we're giving, there is a reason, there is a purpose driven for what we are given by God. Everything we have is stewarded, no matter how big or how small, or how, how small or how big or how big or small. All of that. The intent of that is always to consider that in terms of stewardship and ultimately that's also to give as a cheerful giver in whatever form that is. And I, in a material world where we are immersed deeply, where everything is about materialism, everything is about status, everything is about look, everything is about owning more or more expensive or better. Everything is about another salary jump, a job title, all of these things. As we try to peel away from that, as we must, these framing institutions that we're in will constantly try to pull us back in. And so much of what that's going to center on is our relationship in contentment with Christ in that pure walk with Christ to ultimately arrive at a place where if we are given the opportunity or asked the question in a simple thing of being able to sell everything and walk away to join in that walk that we can. And hence I, why I go back to that place that I try to do every single day in one fashion or another, when I encounter something, is to double-check my relationship and attachment to things. Nothing can hold its power over us. Where it's very humbling in this is when you go through war zones or you go through earthquakes or hurricane zones or where fires have ravaged places. And truly, a lot of this, whether it's whatever the origin of that is, and without trying to gloss over this and talk about the, as if there's no suffering and loss. It's really quite a perspective on that place of the parable of the young rich man. Because whether we like it or not, there are things that happen in our lives that suddenly strip things from us. 
And for some, that can be sudden like a fire, a tornado, an earthquake, a hurricane, a tsunami. It, it could be death in the family and an unexpected loss of the estate. It could be a divorce. There's a lot of things. It could be something as severe as a car accident where we lose mobility and we no longer have anything that we have no longer has any purpose. It could be getting arrested and being thrown in jail. When we approach those points where we have to give up our attachment to all things and that true precipice where you have to face it and actually go through it, I think it's a defining moment for who we are. I think when we get to that place and we have to make a decision to have to let go of everything that we've accumulated to truly have to do it, I do think it's a defining moment. And I think it shapes us in a very positive way because it takes us away from the perceived need and justification of everything we have. Everything that is taken can be provided again. When it comes to material things, God is a wonderful giver as we should be a giver as well. And it's something that it's important to hang on to right now in these perspectives, in my opinion, because we are heading into some very strange times ahead where there's many unknowns. It's easy for us to talk about an exodus, and I use that discussion regularly in a framing and a, and a metaphor. But in the true sense of an exodus, let's put this in perspective. If we really went through what the Israelites went through in exodus, what did they end up having to do? Take their kneading bowls and some of the unleavened bread, dough. And then they were their packs were filled with silver and with gold. All of that silver and gold was useless. It was just wealth to carry. It wasn't say it's useless in the long term, but for the purpose of survival, it, it was just weight. But anything else they had, if there whether it you know that there would be so much limited, they had to carry it on their backs. And we kind of go with the idea that they didn't have anything. As slaves, they might not have had much, but they did have things. So there had to be an immediate process, a very sudden process of having to let go and walk away. Even the environments which they had, which are themselves compelling. Many of the slaves raised those children. Many of those slaves were part of the families. They were going to have to walk away from all of that, all of that attachment to walk away. All of that attachment to be able to step away and follow where God was sending them. It's something to keep in mind. Because when we get anchored and consumed, and we get anchored physically by the things that we have around us, and we lose the ability to walk away, we become trapped. I don't know where that leads us ultimately. But if we can't take the offer that Christ gave to the poor or to the young rich man and sell everything and give it away and walk with him, if we get bound in that, that's a pretty unfortunate end, in my opinion. Every one of us has things that we're attached to. Everybody, every one of us has items that we don't want to let go of. And as much as that is, my challenge is just simple. Just explore the why. Dig into why that's become so important and what it represents. If it's memories of the past, why are we hanging on to that? Why do we need the item to hang on to? If it's money, what's the insecurity that we're trying to fill? Or what are we, what's the purpose of that? And it doesn't mean that to give it away, but it is important to grasp the why. Because as we understand the why, we begin to understand a very deep part of ourselves. We start to understand the places where we know that Christ can fill us, where we know that we can do better in trust in Father. And ultimately, we are starting to look ourselves in the mirror and see the true sense of who we are. And it's there that we grow the most.
Let's pray. Father, we come to you in just very humbling place tonight, just in reflection on all that you've given and that very narrow line between what you give and that trap to hoard and want more. Father, these are challenging times because we're balancing so much of a compelling feeling to take take in supplies, gain extra resources for a coming shortage. And those sorts of places at times can put us at odds, feeling like we're at odd with at odds with what you want for us to be give, be cheerful givers and to not hoard. So Father, we just ask that in this time that we can all pursue that place of as we prepare for potential shortages, as we do as Joseph did to fill the silos in each of our own ways, as we're each building our small arcs around this world, that we can do so truly with the joy of a, of a cheerful giver and with the intent of you leading us as you want us to, to prepare not just for ourselves, but for our communities. Staying true on this path is challenging. And in a true, honest statement, it's not easy for anybody to walk the path between greed, consumption, and purpose. And so, Father, we just pray for your purpose to be very clear. So that we, as we walk this path, we can avoid the pitfalls of greed. Where we walk in this time defines much of who we are. And these challenges are very difficult at times to discern. So we just pray for your guidance, your clarity, and again to empower the cheerful giver within our hearts and to provide the purpose and intent with clarity of what we need to do. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Probably the greatest challenge ahead for all of us in many ways because it defines a lot of who we are. And we hear a lot of comments, and I've heard many on different pieces on the web right now where people are saying like, yeah, I'm stocking up, man, but if you come to my house, I'm locked and loaded. I'm going to put you down. And I just really have to think about that because it's like, wow, that's not what God's asking us to do. At least I don't think so. I think this is a time right now where any preparations that we're doing, God is really preparing us to rebuild in whatever form that takes. I think God is putting on our hearts for us to be the voice to reach out and to give hope and light. And isn't to say there aren't roaming threats that could threaten a community or threaten things for this that are important to the sustainment of the community. But it is a time where we have to think differently. We have to define things differently. And if we're going to lead truly with that the heart of a of a cheerful giver, we should be preparing accordingly. And as we prepare accordingly, we become the power of change, literally the way to lead the world to a new place where mine isn't about me, but mine is about what God gave me to steward. Completely different paradigm. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. Lots of prayers here I think are important to get clarity of mission and purpose. And God's offering it. Just make sure we're double checking in on everything. And making sure that we're on that right path. Because right now, things are moving fast. And we need clarity and discernment. And prayers are right there. And God is with us and he will never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for such a time as this. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for
Thank、you 